story of the sower and his seed. And some of that seed fell on hardened ground, and some of the seed fell on rocky ground. Some was surrounded by weeds, and some was, was in good soil. And it's a lot warmer now than it was two weeks ago, and I'm getting more and more excited about my garden, enough that uh, yesterday I went out and I bought dirt and I started seeds in my, in my uh, kitchen. Stacy's not home for the weekend, so she doesn't know that yet. She'll find dirt, dirt in our kitchen when she comes home, see if she'll let me keep that. But I'm eager for those plants to start growing. Um, but tonight we're going to move from planting and gardening to raising farm animals for a few moments. Uh, chickens, specifically. Now, I've used this story before, so forgive me if you remember it, but it's just too good not to use again. It's a story about biologist W.C. Ailey. Um, he became famous long ago in the biology world. Probably not famous to most of us because we don't live in the biology world. But um, he became famous by studying, of all things, farmyard hens. He's the one who, who discovered through careful observation that if you put any number of hens together in a pen and, and you sprinkle just a little bit of seed in there, that you will witness an amazing phenomenon. That within a few moments, and it doesn't take that long, these chickens, these hens, will create what he memorably labeled a pecking order. Okay? Through, through a series of confrontations, these hens will, will claim their rank from top to bottom. Right? And each hen will peck freely at the ones beneath it. Some of you who have grown up on farms have seen this phenomenon. So, so whoever, whichever one becomes the number one hen pecks, gets all the dinner they want and pecks freely at hen number two. Number two gets the rest of the dinner and pecks freely at number three. And on down until you get that last poor chicken who, who's lucky to get any food and gets plenty of, of pecks in the process. Right? So, so these chickens, these hens, naturally create a social prestige order, a social ranking. And, and it, it's not that unusual, is it? Because we do the same thing as human beings. We talked about that a little bit this morning. The Pharisees, around that dinner table that we read from Luke 14, they were creating a pecking order, right? A social pecking order. And we're constantly doing that, right? There's rankings for everything, isn't there? Every sports team, we rank them. In fact, tonight, the, the bracket will come out for March Madness. We'll rank everybody. There's a number beside their name, and so they're ranked. Wealth has a pecking order. Came out just uh, a few weeks ago. Bill Gates was, again, the top of the pecking order with his $79 million. I think you'll find most of us much farther down the ranking when it comes to wealth. All right, school hallways, classrooms. There's always a pecking order being created, isn't it? So it makes middle school and high school so difficult. I can still remember the pecking order of my class in high school, and I certainly wasn't at the top. Um, that's where we all want to be, isn't it? It's much easier and nicer to be at the top of that pecking order. We want to be moving on up that order, as the Jefferson's saying, right? Moving on up. Because down carries a lot of negative connotations. Right? Down is a word for for people who are losing, right? You don't want to be down and out or downhearted. You don't want to be going downhill. You don't want to downscale or experience a downfall, right? Down's bad. We want to go up, right? We want to be up and coming. We want to be upwardly mobile. We want to live upscale. We want an upper class lifestyle. Life is about moving up the pecking order. And you know what? Jesus absolutely hated that pecking order. He hated it. He refused to play that game. In fact, Jesus 
throughout his life turned that pecking order upside down. And he challenges us to do the exact same thing. As we grow more and more spiritually mature as individuals and as a community, we will leave that pecking order behind. We'll learn to develop the discipline of losing. The discipline, as Henry Nowen from this morning talked about, the discipline of downward mobility. Because in God's system, down is the way to go. It's a sign of prestige in God's kingdom. A sign of prestige in God's kingdom is service. That's what gets the badge. So as we grow more spiritually mature, as we love Jesus more and more passionately, as we develop this, this lifelong relationship with him, we will begin to give ourselves away more and more, just as Jesus did. It's exactly the way Jesus said it should work. And yet, and that so often, not only as individuals, but even as a church, we get it so wrong. We fall into this trap of establishing a pecking order. We search for all the reasons of how and why we should be moving up. We do it in the church. Pastors, we as pastors are tempted to see ourselves as the top, right? The, the biggest chicken in the church. Well, that doesn't sound quite right, but, but that's what we like to see, right? We're up at the top. We're pastors. And then, and then you have elders and deacons. And, and then you have those who have been members here for a long time. Or maybe those who give a lot. And then you have everybody else who just comes every once in a while. We have this pecking order that we create. And Jesus makes it clear to us and to his disciples in Matthew 20 that we've got it all backwards. So turn in your Bibles to Matthew 20. Jesus, and let me give you this sighting here in Matthew 20. Jesus has been walking with his disciples for three years now. You're going to get to this passage soon in your readings if you're following the Lent readings. So three years now, Jesus has been living with his disciples, teaching them you know, day and night, walking, modeling for them a life of humility and service. And in verses 17, 18, and 19, he, he gives them in a moment of honesty and clarity, which after the disciples, there's not a lot of moments of clarity, but here's one for them. He tells them exactly what to expect when they get to Jerusalem. He says to them, I will be arrested. I'm going to be beaten. I'm going to, I'm going to die. But don't worry because I'm going to rise again. He lays that plan, this plan out for him. Okay? And he shares his heart. He, he shares, he, he bears his soul to them. And following that great revelation, listen to what happens. Start at verse 20. Then the mother of Zebedee's sons came to Jesus with her sons and kneeling down asked a favor of him. What is it you want, he asked. She said, grant that one of these two sons of mine may sit at your right and the other your left in your kingdom. You don't know what you are asking, he said to them. Can you drink the cup I'm going to drink? We can, they answered. Jesus said to them, you will indeed drink from my cup. But to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared by my father. When the ten heard about this, they were indignant with the two brothers. They were angry with the two brothers. Jesus called them all together and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. 
Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. Whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. I mean, think about this for a moment. Put yourself in Jesus' Jesus' place here. He's on his way to Jerusalem. He's on his way to die. This is what he's come for. This is the moment that he's been waiting for. And these disciples of his are busy arguing about the pecking order. They're busy arguing about which one of them is the greatest. James and John are trying to, to rise up to become the number one chickens. And the rest of the disciples are angry. Not because they're holier, but because they want that place. It's not fair if James and John get it just because they asked. If that's all it took, they would, the other disciples would have asked. They want to be number one too. It must have just broken Jesus' heart. For three years, he's walked with them. For three years, he's modeled humility and service and sacrifice and downward mobility. And here at the, at the capstone, three years, they still don't get it. Now he's walking towards the cross, towards the pinnacle of his ministry, to lay his life down. It's the heart of God's grace and the heart of God's salvation. He looks over his disciples and he sees a bunch of chickens squabbling over the pecking order. But instead of getting angry, as as I think I would have, Jesus teaches them one of the most profound and difficult truths of what it means to be spiritually mature. He says, you want to be great? Is that truly what you want? You want a position of authority and honor and respect? Well, I'll tell you how to get it. And he says to them, whoever of you wants to be great must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first, you want to be first? Then be a slave. Just as the Son of Man, just as I did not come to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. Because those who are moving on up in the kingdom of God are the ones who are moving on down in the world's eyes. If you want to be great in the kingdom of God, if you want to know how spiritually mature you are, okay, you want to know how spiritually mature you are? Maybe you've been going to church all your life. Maybe you, you've been reading devotions at the dinner table for, for decades. But you want a kind of a measurement of how spiritually mature you are, Jesus says? You don't check out those and check out your service, he says. Check out how much of a slave you are to others. That will be your indicator of your spiritual maturity. Because if you want to go up in God's pecking order, then you've got to go down onto your knees. In the kingdom of God, servants are great, and slaves are number one. Whoever wants to be great among you must be your servant. Whoever wants to be first must be a slave. Let that truth sink in, because... I believe that Jesus looks down at us, his church. And just like with the disciples on that road, I think often his heart breaks. Because too often he must look at us and see a bunch of chickens trying to work their way up the pecking order. All the things that we think will help move us up. All the, the badges of honor, the spiritual badges of honor that we wear. All of the power and the prestige, the, the titles that we proudly display. They simply prove our spiritual immaturity. Jesus is looking for people who humbly and quietly serve. Those are the pillars of his church. Not the people with the titles. It's the people who anonymously serve in the nursery week after week. 
It's the people who lead small groups that, that most of us don't even know about. It's the people who deliver meals, who, make the, who sneak in during the week to put their freezer meals in the freezer, come in purposely at a time when no one will see them because they don't want to be known. It's the people who, who are down on their knees praying continually. It's the people who teach the kids. It's the people who during the week travel to Degage and feed, feed the people who are hungry. The people who go to the Western apartments and celebrate birthdays of people who otherwise no one would even know it's their birthday. No one would even care. It's the people who spend the nights here with our homeless families during Family Promise. It's the servants that most of us don't even know about. And Jesus looks at them and says, you know what? You got it. You have figured it out. You understand what it really means to be great in my eyes. You understand what it means to truly love me. You know, it's a, it's a pretty clear message from Jesus. And yet we so often hesitate to serve. We still choose not to follow in his footsteps. You know, it's, it's typical of every church, right? What do they say? They say 20% of the people do 80% of the work in a church. That's how it works. And, and I like to think Ivan Rest Church is a little bit better than that, but I've never done the numbers. My guess is there's a whole lot of people who serve again and again and again and again, and then a whole lot of people who sit and watch and serve. But you know what catches Jesus' eye in the church? It isn't the loud and the powerful people. It isn't those who are noticeable. It's the quiet acts of service done out of a passionate love for Jesus and his people. Jesus modeled that life for us, right? We saw it this morning in Philippians chapter 2, if you were here. We, pro- we proclaimed it here in the Apostles' Creed. I asked you to pay attention, especially to that section on Jesus. Did you ever notice that that middle section of the Apostles' Creed, the part about Jesus, is structured exactly the same way as Philippians 2 that we read this morning? Right? We, we profess our faith with these words. When we do that, we proclaim our willingness and to be a servant just like Jesus to work our way down the pecking order. It's, it's the same format, right? Remember Philippians 2 this morning, talked about how Jesus started up high, humbled himself, and because he humbled himself, God glorified him. Well, the Apostles' Creed does the same thing. It starts with Jesus at the top of the pecking order. He's the only begotten son of God. He's sharing all of God's glory. And step by step, line by line of what we profess, he goes down and leaves that glory behind. Each line is a step down. Born of the Virgin Mary. Again, take... becoming human, trapped inside a womb for nine months, setting aside of his godly powers and limiting himself as a human being, step down. And he suffered under Pontius Pilate, step down, right, submitting himself to human authorities. Even ones who judge him unfairly, step down, was crucified, step down, died, step down, was buried, step down, all the way into the ground. And not only to die, but, but to be crucified. The most painful and humiliating way to die. You know what the message that crucifixion sends? When you hang someone up on a tree, the message is heaven doesn't want you and earth doesn't want you either. There you hang between the two because nobody wants you. Humiliating. You can't get much lower than death. And from there, we profess it every time. From there, because he's willing to work his way down the pecking order, God restores his glory and brings him more glory than before. He starts working his way up again, just like Philippians 2. He rose again, step up. 
on the third day. He ascended into heaven. Step up. And seated at the right hand of God the Father. Step up. From there he will judge the living and the dead. That means he's both the current king and the future king. And all that because he gave himself away. All that because he stepped down. Worked his way down the pecking order. You know, if anyone had the right to be at the top of the pecking order, Jesus did. He was God. He could have rightly demanded honor and respect. He was above the pecking order with everybody else beneath him. But Jesus chose to work his way down to the bottom. He became nothing. He became a servant. He became that slave to all humanity. If Jesus were here today, my guess is he wouldn't be up front here preaching, demanding awe and respect. My guess is he'd be finding some way to serve us. Some way in the background to serve. He would be loving God by loving his people. He would be descending our ranks again to be great in God's eyes. So Jesus turns again, turns human logic on its head. He tells us that you go down if you want to go up. The disciples didn't get it. They're arguing about which one of them is the greatest. This world today doesn't understand it. And too often we don't either. But Jesus showed us the path to greatness in God's eyes. He modeled it for us. But he modeled it in one, I think most perfectly, in one profound action. Right In a few days, again, if you're reading along with our Lent readings, you're going to read about the, the final Last Supper, the Passover meal. And you've probably heard of this story. I know you have. Right? They, they get to, to that room, that upper room, where they're all going to share this Passover together. And to the disciples' dismay, no one had arranged a servant to be there to wash their feet, their dusty, dirty feet from walking that, that Judean ground. And again, remember from this morning, they're going to recline at this table, low table, laying down. They're going to have their feet in each other's faces. Dirty feet don't, don't make a good combination. And there sat the basin and towel right by the door where they came in. And each one was too proud to wash the other one's feet. That's a task for a servant. That's what a slave does, not a disciple. And maybe it's that, maybe it's that basin and towel that caused them to begin to argue about which one of them is the greatest. Maybe it isn't where they sat. Maybe it's the basin and towel. As they say to each other, why don't you, why don't you wash the feet tonight? I'm not going to wash the feet. How about if you? I'm not going to wash yours. Who's the greatest? Who's the lowest on the totem pole that's going to have to wash everybody's feet? Nobody does it. So they sit down to dinner to eat with dirty feet until Jesus comes. And he puts on the servant's robe. And he picks up that basin. And he picks up that towel. And he washes the feet of the people he created. God himself takes the dirty job. God himself becomes a slave. And that's the kind of life we're called to imitate. In Galatians 5, the Apostle Paul gives us this calling. He says, serve one another in love. The entire law is summed up in a single command. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you keep on biting and devouring each other, watch out or you'll be destroyed by each other. In other words, he says, quit tearing each other apart, trying to work your way up the pecking order. Right? That, that's foolishness. Follow Jesus' lead instead and, and serve each other. If you truly want to be great, 
and you've got to follow Jesus down. Going down brought Jesus to the highest place. Took the pain of the cross to reach the joy of the Father. So will, will being a servant and a slave always be a fun experience? I'll tell you right off the bat, no. It won't be. Sometimes it'll be difficult. Sometimes it will be a sacrifice. Sometimes the last thing you want to do is, is that call to service, that call to sacrifice that's laid in front of you, that God puts on your heart. And will you always get the encouragement? Will you always get the thanks and the reward and the pat on the back that you love to get when you serve? No. Sometimes you'll serve in silence, noticed by nobody. But God, he'll notice. And when we're truly serving out of a passion and a love for God, then God noticing is enough, isn't it? What more could you want than have God himself looking down on you and smiling and saying, well done. Well done, good and faithful, what? Servant. Good and faithful servant. Thank you. There's true joy. There's joy in that journey, isn't there? The journey to the bottom of the world's pecking order and to the top of God. Would you pray with me? Thank you, God, for all the times when, by your grace and power, we, we seem to get it right. I thank you for the servants here at Ivan Rest Church, the people who give themselves away, not for their own glory, but for yours. For the people who, in so many ways, big and small, become servants and slaves for your kingdom. Forgive us for the times when we don't encourage them, when we don't say thank you and thank you for using their gifts for you. And I pray that, Father, they would hear your thanks, that they would be encouraged by your spirit. And that's enough. That's more than enough. And so, Father, as you show us opportunities to serve in your name, give us the courage to pick up the basin and the towel and to be able to be servants and slaves to each other and to this world that you love so dearly. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you stand with me? We're going to finish with the song, Yesu, Yesu.